Uh, now, this morning, we're going to continue uh, looking at what we considered last time I was with you on Sunday morning, which is the Feast of Passover, uh, what is probably uh, the first example of lockdown as we have been experiencing uh, in the Bible, uh, because here uh, the children of Israel uh, were for one night uh, locked down in their houses when something much worse than a virus like we have experienced uh, was going around. It was the angel of death, uh, the tenth plague uh, that came upon the land of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land from the firstborn of Pharaoh, the ruler, uh, down to the firstborn of the animals was killed. And the only reason uh, that uh, the children of Israel did not lose their firstborn was that their homes were protected. They were protected uh, by uh, the blood of a sacrificed lamb uh, that was put on their doorposts. And we saw last time uh, that the relevance of this uh, to us is not that we go and uh, sacrifice lambs and then uh, paint their blood on our doorposts to be protected from coronavirus, but it's a much, much more important uh, application. As Paul says uh, to the Corinthians, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. And it's when we uh, turn to Jesus Christ and know his blood uh, being sprinkled upon our hearts, it is only then that we are safe uh, from uh, the judgments of God. And that's not just being safe in this world, but in the world to come. Amazing uh, gospel, uh, amazing hope. And I didn't have time uh, last Sunday morning uh, to finish uh, the message on the Passover. So we're going to uh, look this morning uh, at uh, two things uh, regarding uh, this feast. And that, I trust, will help us uh, when we come afterwards to take the Lord's Supper. That's why we've got communion this morning instead of this evening. So there are detailed instructions in Exodus chapter 12, uh, where we have the details of the Passover. Uh, God uh, gives uh, specifics uh, regarding how this feast is to be kept. It's not just a matter of a lamb. Remember, a lamb uh, that didn't have a blemish, a perfect lamb being chosen and sacrificed and the blood puts on the doorposts. It's not just that. I just want us to look at the detailed instructions. So if you can turn to Exodus chapter 12, Exodus 12. And maybe if we take up the accounts from verse 7, verse 7 in Exodus 12. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning? You shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, 
I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when you strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. And then uh, just a little uh, further down, uh, we just have this, verse 22. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, that's the blood from the sacrificed lamb, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Well, those are some of the detailed instructions. And I just want to mention uh, two uh, more things this morning about this feast of Passover and how it is relevant to us. And the first point, it came out in that word memorial. It's a memorial to you. Uh, verse 14, uh, you shall keep this feast throughout your generations. It was a feast to remember. Uh, you know, the children of Israel, uh, they kept their first Passover on this night uh, when the angel of death went around the homes in Egypt. That was the one event. And following that one event was the great exodus uh, when they were set free uh, from Egyptian bondage and they were led of God uh, through the wilderness, uh, the miracle of the uh, opening of the Red Sea. So there were those two events. And yet, even those events, uh, they happened once, uh, they weren't repeated. But the remembering of the Passover and the Exodus, that then was to take place every year. The Feast of Passover was kept uh, after the children of Israel had left Egypt, when they were wandering through the deserts. They still kept uh, the Passover to remember. And then when they got to the Promised Land, uh, the feast didn't stop. Every year it was kept as a remembrance. And when we come then to the New Testament and to Jesus's ministry, uh, we have Jesus Christ and his disciples before his crucifixion, the night before. They are in the upper room and it is the Passover that they are remembering. So it's a feast to remember something by. You know, we're so prone, aren't we, uh, to spiritual amnesia. Uh, I know as we get older, uh, we do tend to become more forgetful. Uh, I uh, keep on forgetting where I have put my keys. Uh, that's a sign uh, of old age. Uh, but there is a far more serious condition uh, and this afflicts both believers as well as unbelievers. And it is spiritual amnesia. 
listen to God uh, speaking to his people uh, in Deuteronomy. This is what he says. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. These people that had been so blessed, uh, they had been saved from the angel of death on the night of the Passover, saved not through their own works, but because of what God had done. And then they had been set free from uh, the Egyptian bondage and miraculously uh, got out of Egypt and then provided for, as we heard from Howell last Sunday, in their desert wanderings. They were so prone uh, to spiritual amnesia and not uh, to... uh, remember those mighty works of God. And you know what? It's not just ancient Israel that suffered with spiritual amnesia. It's you and me. And it's not just us and our generation, but the church throughout the centuries has had this tendency to forget. Now, the problem is we don't forget in our minds, we still pay lip service uh, to the gospel, uh, especially to what we're going to be remembering shortly in communion, to Jesus Christ dying on that cross for our sins. We still uh, assent to it intellectually. But the problem is this, we get distracted with so many other things, and that's how spiritual amnesia set in and i find it so amazing that god provided his people in the old testaments with a feast that they were to keep every year to bring back to their minds in a very forceful way what god did to deliver them and i find it so significant that on the very night when Jesus Christ was celebrating the Passover with his disciples in that upper room, he didn't just celebrate an Old Testament feast, but he instituted a new feast that was now to be the feast that we as Christians are to use to remind ourselves of what God has done. You see, in the gospel, we have been delivered from bondage far, far worse than that which the children of Israel were afflicted with in Egypt. Our taskmaster is the devil, and he binds us with sin, and we can't set ourselves free. But what we can't do, God has done in the sending of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And the Passover, as we looked last time, was pointing all the lambs that would have been slain in all the Passover festivals throughout the centuries. All the blood that was shed was pointing to that one and only lamb the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who truly takes away the sin of the world, hanging on that cross, dying in the place of sinners. And then we, believing in him, are delivered from the wrath to come. We are set free from the tyranny of Satan and sin and the Spirit comes into our hearts, and we are now no longer the children of the devil in the kingdom of darkness, but we have been translated in a moment into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's dear Son. And we now are in an exodus. We've been delivered from sin, 
And this world now is a wilderness. And we are being led now by Jesus Christ to our heavenly Canaan, our home in heaven. And what Jesus Christ has instituted is a feast which we are going to remember shortly. And that is the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is the equivalent of the Passover feast. Uh, we are being reminded, not just every year, uh, but in our church, at least once a month, it was twice a month before lockdown, we are being reminded by visual aids exactly what it cost Jesus Christ to deliver us, what we have been saved from, and what God has done in his mighty covenants of grace. Let me read the words which I'll be reading in the communion. Take, eat of the bread. This is my body which is broken for you. Why? Do this in remembrance of me. And then this cup, the wine, is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it. Why? In remembrance of me. Remember, remember, the 5th of November. Maybe we're not remembering it as much now. It doesn't matter, really. Remember, remember, that sacrifice 2,000 years ago when the Son of God, the perfect man, bled and died so that you and I could be delivered and could be given everlasting life. Now, there's something uh, in uh, the Passover, I think, speaks uh, very graphically uh, of Jesus Christ uh, suffering on the cross for our sins. Uh, when I read uh, verse 22, uh, notice uh, the bunch of hyssop, which is being used like a paintbrush, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Now, it's possible to translate that word basin as threshold. So what does that mean? Well, it means this. Uh, the lamb was sacrificed on the threshold, on the door of the house. And uh, it's possible to read that verse like this, that the blood was put on the doorposts, on the sides, on the lintel, on the top, and on the doorstep, on the threshold, on the bottom. And what an illustration that is of the Passover lamb, Christ our Passover lamb, being sacrificed for us. I don't know which commentator puts it like this, but I find this beautiful. Uh, he says, just as the blood was put on the lintel, it is reminding us of the thorn uh, crowned head of Jesus Christ and the blood uh, flowing down from the top. And then just as his hands were nailed and his side uh, had a spear thrust into it, so there is blood on the sides. And then as his feet are nailed, uh, there is blood also flowing from the bottom. See what I am doing, God is saying. See, my only begotten son is crucified for you, for me, so that we can be delivered. How can we forget? When we forget the pits of sin, maybe not outrageous sins, but self-sins that we've been saved from. We've got spiritual amnesia. When we look at other people, maybe unbelievers, maybe other Christians even, and see more faults in them than in our own hearts, 
then haven't we got spiritual amnesia? When other things, even good things, have the preeminence in our Christianity instead of Christ and him dying in our place, then I say we've got spiritual amnesia. What makes you tick as a believer? What gets you going? What, what causes your spiritual juices to go? Is it the cross? Is it love so amazing, so divine? Or is it something else? If it's something else, you've got spiritual amnesia. How kind our God is to provide this feast, the Lord's Supper, and this ordinance of preaching to remind us week after week of what we have been saved from, what we'll be saying to, and what it cost him and his son. I know a number of you are tuning in who are not regular members of our church. So those of you who are members, you've heard me say this a number of times. I haven't been now for a few years, but I was so privileged uh, to go on an annual mission trip to India uh, for, for many, many years. And uh, one uh, visit I will never forget. Uh, it, it's uh, ingrained in my heart. Uh, and it was when we went uh, to uh, Serampore, uh, a place just outside of Calcutta, uh, where William Carey, uh, the first missionary to India, lived. And Carey toiled for six, seven, eight years uh, preaching this gospel before he saw his first converts. And the first Hindu uh, who came to believe in Jesus Christ was called Krishna Pal. Krishna Pal. And he wrote to him. And we had this amazing privilege of standing on the banks of the Ganges River, which is called the Hooghly at that point, at the point where Carey baptised Krishna Pal. Imagine your first converts, or God's first converts, after seven, eight years of hard work. And then Krishna Pal wrote this hymn. Oh, thou my soul. We sang this hymn at the spot where he was baptised, and I found it deeply moving. O thou, my soul, forget no more the friend who all thy misery bore. Let every idol be forgot, but, O my soul, forget him not. What did he do? Jesus, the Son of God, for thee, for you, a body takes, thy guilt assumes, thy fetters breaks, discharging, paying all thy dreadful debts. And canst thou hear such love? Forget. Oh, as we partake the elements, may we say, even in our hearts, if not verbally, he loved me and gave himself for me, a feast to remember. Not just the Passover, but the Lord's Supper. Do you view uh, the Lord's Supper as a feast? Do you view coming to church as coming to a feast? So that, that's the first point. And then secondly, how now do we? feast uh, on Jesus Christ. If Christ is really the Passover lamb who has been slain, and if the Lord's Supper is our equivalent of the Passover in terms of reminding us 
you see, the Lord's Supper doesn't save us. Partaking the bread and the wine doesn't do anything to us. There is no such thing as ex opera operato. Grace doesn't work automatically in our hearts as we take the bread and the wine. Just as the Passover was a yearly reminder of that one event, the Passover and the Exodus, so the communion is a monthly reminder of the events, the cross, which actually saves us. How do we then, in the Lord's Supper, and especially in these detailed instructions in the Passover, how do we then feed on Jesus Christ? As I said to the children, to believe in Jesus Christ when we turn, repent, and believe in the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? I think these detailed instructions uh, flesh that out uh, for us. But before that, I, I do need to put it like this, because this is important. When Jesus says, describing faith, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he's not referring to the communion there. It's not that act which gives us eternal life. It's the spiritual eating and the drinking, taking of Jesus Christ into our hearts. And then I need to say this as well about faith as feeding and drinking. When you take the bread in communion, what, 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 what is the mechanism? Well, it's so simple, isn't it? It's an empty hand taking the cup. Uh, that's taking the wine. The bread, it's an empty hand taking the bread. Uh, we're probably all different in how we do that. Uh, even different churches do it in different ways. But the essence of it is simple. I've got nothing. Jesus Christ has got everything. And all I do, I come with my nothingness and I accept uh, what he has got on my behalf. That's faith. Uh, if you think of the children of Israel taking the hyssop uh, plants and dipping it in the basin and, as it were, painting their doorposts with the blood. Uh, I had to do some painting of my doorposts a number of years ago, and I didn't know how to go about it. Uh, I had paints going everywhere. I should have... Uh, uh, taped uh, uh, with masking tape uh, the the doorpost uh, uh, at the bottom uh, to stop paint from going uh, on the floor, but I forgot to do that. So I was just applying the paint, not realising that the paint drips on everything. But this is my point. Faith uh, can be a messy thing. Uh, the whole point of coming to Jesus Christ is not how we come in terms of uh, the process. It's the fact that we are coming. And uh, even if we are painting, as it were, his blood in a messy way, it doesn't matter. The Israelite that did that was just as protected as the Israelite who did it in a much more careful way. It's the taking of Christ. It's the eating. It's the drinking. It's the painting that matters. So I need to say that. And then I need to say this as well. Before we come to the detailed instructions, when we're first saved, we're turning and we're taking, we're believing in Jesus Christ. It doesn't stop there. What's the rest of our Christian life then? Well, we were going in one direction. We were going in the way of the world. We were going in the way of sin. But now we've turned away from that. And in turning to Jesus Christ, we're going in a new direction. And we don't stop the day we believe. We're carrying on. And so there's the Welsh phrase, I'm still believing. I haven't stopped believing since the day of my conversion. Now, I've met some people who say, uh, that they were converted on a specific day, but they're no longer going with the Lord. They're no longer walking with the Lord. They're no longer still believing. Now, maybe they weren't truly converted on that date. The proof 
that we are saved is that we're still believing. Are you still going on with the Lord? Can you say, Dali Gredi, still believing by grace? Now, let's look at the detailed instructions here. And I can't spend too much time on them, uh, but I'm sure uh, there are uh, nuggets of gold here uh, to help us as we come to the Lord's table. The first thing I want to say is this. The lamb had to be roasted, not boiled. Verse 9. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in the fire. What's that? Jesus Christ, when we come to him, it's not Jesus Christ raw. You and I can handle the pure Son of God, even as a man, raw. Uh, we've been looking at John's uh, vision of Christ in Revelation on Sunday evenings. And even John, who knew Jesus Christ intimately as a friend, when he saw the risen Lord on the Isle of Patmos, fell down as one dead. And you and I would shrivel up if all we came to was Jesus Christ raw. He's too perfect. It's Jesus Christ who's gone through the fire. Jesus Christ roasted. It's the cross, you see. It's Jesus Christ who's endured the fire of God's judgments that should have come upon us. That's what causes a sinner to shrivel before a holy God. But if Jesus Christ has taken that judgment, we are able to come even to the Father through Jesus, the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. So have you come to Jesus Christ crucified? That's where you've got to look. How will quoted Spurgeon's conversion uh, last Sunday? And Spurgeon heard in this sermon uh, that he had to look uh, to God and be saved. And the preacher was saying, don't look to God as creator. That's not going to do you any good at first. Don't look uh, even to God as provider. Don't look even to God in Christ, in the person. Uh, look to one place, to Christ, hanging on that cross. There you will have hope. Christ suffering, not for his own sin, but for your sin. That's what gives us hope. The lamb roasted. And then the next thing uh, you will notice is this. It had to be a whole lamb that was eaten. Uh, where is that? Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its leg and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. A whole Christ. What does that mean? When I come to Jesus Christ, I don't accept half of Jesus Christ. I don't accept Jesus as my saviour and then don't bow the knee to him. And maybe I'll take him as my Lord later. Oh, no. Paul said to the Philippian jailer who asked, what must I do to be saved? The apostle said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. When you take Jesus Christ to save you from your sin, it means that you are turning from sin. In effect, you're bowing your knee to him and you're accepting him as your Lord, a whole Christ. But there's something else, isn't there? A whole Christ means 
that it's in Christ alone that we have salvation. There is no hope outside of Christ. Uh, the term the whole Christ is used in a book. It's the title of a book that describes a controversy up in Scotland many centuries ago that was called the Marrow Controversy. And it's so detailed, I can't give you all the facts here. But it started off when a young minister being interviewed for a pastorate was asked the question, do you have to forsake sin before coming to Jesus Christ? Now, that sounds very spiritual, does it not? That we first repent and then come to Jesus Christ. And this minister thought about it and he said, no. I've got to come to Jesus Christ as I am. It's in Christ that I have everything that I stand in need of. It's in Christ that repentance is given. It's in Christ even that faith is given. It's in Christ that there is forgiveness. It's in Christ that there is grace. It's in Christ that there is strength. It's in Christ that there is joy. It's in Christ that there is peace. I've got nothing in myself. Now, this is the mystery. It's when we're coming to Christ then that we're already repenting and believing. But it's in Christ, my friends, your whole salvation lies. And it's in Christ that your whole Christian life lies. There is nothing outside of Jesus Christ. Isn't that why we're called Christians? That's all it is. Christ, in him I live. Upon him cast my care. He saves from death, destruction and despair. Is your Christianity Christ? Or is it Christ plus? Christ plus good works. Christ plus a certain truth that you hold here. Christ plus a certain tradition. No, no. It is Jesus Christ alone. And then the next thing, this uh, lamb roasted in fire and eaten holy is to be taken with a condiment. What's, what's that? With bitter herbs. That doesn't sound very nice, does it? Verse 8. With bitter herbs you shall eat it. Um, in India, in Andhra Pradesh, they have a pickle. Uh, it's, it's a green pickle. And it's called Gongara pickle. I actually quite like it, but it's bitter. It's bitter. And if we come to Jesus Christ, yes, it's joy to take our Savior. But at the same time, there's a bitter, sweet experience. Uh, there's a trembling joy, isn't there, when we come to Jesus Christ. Uh, Zechariah put it well, describing the children of Israel looking upon him they had pierced. And that, again, is pointing to Jesus Christ on the cross. And what did they do? Yes, they believed, but they mourned. They mourned because it was their sin that had caused him such sorrow. Um, I've been reading about David Brainerd, uh, the missionary to the Indians in North America in uh, the... Uh, 18th uh, century, 19th century, uh, 18th century. And this is what he said. Uh, I was surprised to see how their hearts seemed to be pierced with the tender and melting invitations of the gospel when there was not a word of terror spoken to them. And then after believing in Jesus Christ, what did Paul say to the new converts? It is through much tribulation you must enter the kingdom of God. Isn't that true? There are mountaintop experiences, but there are valley experiences, the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of humiliation. It's bittersweet, isn't it? The glory of the Christian life is that Jesus draws most near to us when we weep most bitterly. Tears seem to clear our eyes 
of our spiritual fog. I'm sure the wind breeze on Machen Mountain are most sweet when the weather is most miserable. Grace grows best, said Samuel Rutherford, in winter. Is there a bitter sweet experience to your coming to Christ and to your Christianity? And then they've got to be eaten with bread, but not just any bread, leavened bread, leavened bread. What is this? Well, normally when we make bread, we add yeast, don't we? Uh, that causes the dough to rise. Uh, the children of Israel did not have packets of yeast to add to their bread. When they made bread in Egypt, uh, they used some old dough and they put it into uh, the mix. And that old dough, because it had leaven in it, caused uh, uh, the bread to rise. But what God is telling them now is to get rid of all their old dough. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was part of Passover and was kept for uh, a week. Uh, uh, he says, uh, verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Uh, he tells them as well uh, to search their houses. And even if they find just a little bit of leaven, a little bit of old dough, they're to get rid of it, to get rid of it. What is the application there for us? Well, let me read uh, the verses I uh, read last Sunday we were looking at this uh, this is the application to us Christ our Passover lamb he has been sacrificed uh, therefore what are we to do therefore uh, purge out the old leaven do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump purge out get rid of the old leaven uh, let's keep the feast not with old leaven not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Oh, have you turned from sin? Have you uh, got rid of those little sins, those secret sins? Are you still nursing a grudge? Are you still holding uh, a bitter spirit towards somebody? Have you got a complaining attitude? Those were the kind of things that the children of Israel had to get rid of? Do you hate the sins that caused him to mourn, yes, in the garden, and yet to suffer, to suffer on that cross? Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Are you real? Are we outwardly what we are inside? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. This was the beginning of days, the beginning of months for the children of Israel. They'd been made new through what God had done. And whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Old things, the old leaven has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that doesn't mean we're perfect in and of ourselves. Indeed, as we grow in grace, we realize that there's so much old leaven that needs to be got rid of. And we do that by looking to Jesus. Ask the Savior to help you, to strengthen, hold you, and keep you. My time is fast running out. But do you realize... You're a new creature in Jesus Christ. Christianity isn't so much turning a new leaf. Whether it happens suddenly or gradually, it matters not. It's the fact that the life of God has come into our hearts. It's the fact that we see now. I once was blind, but now I see. I see. It's not what I have to do. It's what Jesus Christ has done that saves and I begin to follow him. I turn away from Egypt. You see, God didn't just save his people from Egypt. He needed to get Egypt out of his people. Do
do we still, as believers, have old leaven in our hearts? Get rid of it. Uh, there was a man converted under Lloyd-Jones's powerful ministry in Sandfields. This man was a hard man. And as part of his hard character, he had a moustache. Apparently, he had quite an amazing moustache. And he was saved, saved wonderfully. And Lloyd-Jones saw him in church one Sunday, and the moustache was gone. And the doctor was worried that <laughs> some uh, strict Christian had told, had told him uh, that he had to shave that moustache. And the doctor asked him, what, what, what's happened to your moustache? And this man said, and this is wonderful, he said, them things don't belong to my new life. For that man, there's nothing wrong having a moustache, right? If you've got a moustache, don't shave it off. But for that man, it was old leaven. It was old leaven. And them things didn't belong in his new life. What them things have you got rid of? Have you? Them things. It'll be different to all of us. But them things don't belong. This was the beginning of months. Their calendar was starting. Uh, I just want to give an example. I haven't got time to deal with some of the other details. But let me just give you this example from Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, he uh, was a lecturer in theology and he taught students from overseas and there was one student called Timothy uh, he taught and he asked this gentleman uh, Timothy what's your real name because a lot of people from overseas they'll change their names when they come to this country and he replied it's Timothy and uh, Ferguson asked but what's the name your parents gave you and he responded with an oriental name and then Ferguson says so that's your real name you just chose Timothy because it would be familiar and easy for us Westerners no he replied Timothy is my real name that's the name I was given when I was baptized and Ferguson says I found his words deeply moving it was the name that reminded him of who he really was. Christian, do you know your real name? Do you know who you really are in Jesus Christ? Do you understand what it means to be renamed in Christ? Do you think of yourself each day as someone who's died to sin and been raised? into newness of life and that you are eating of Christ with a staff in your hand, with sandals on your feet, with a belt around your waist because you now are a pilgrim. You don't belong to this world. We're just not fitting in, are we? We're just travelling through, travelling through the wilderness and we're travelling home. I can imagine uh, a number of years ago, 200 or so years ago, a young doctor traveling across the moors of West and Mid Wales, uh, and he was inspired to write. Uh, he thought of the green desert, maybe, of Mid Wales, Elenith, a pilgrim in a desert land. I wander far and wide, expecting I may sometime come close to my father's side. I have a yearning for that land where the unnumbered throng extol the death on Calvary in heaven's unending song. Let's sing now that hymn, A Pilgrim in a Desert Land. <laughs> 